This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Nearly 200 unaccompanied Afghan children have been stuck in federal custody for five months. Most of them are teenage boys. This is much longer than the average time. Typically, youth get housed in about a month. But the United States' hasty withdrawal from Afghanistan has left shelters scrambling for basic resources, like interpreters and appropriate food. Young Afghans have also faced trauma and violence at these shelters. State leaders like Congressman Bobby Rush and Senator Dick Durbin have previously said the conditions are unacceptable, but the problem persists. Today, we will hear from two reporters who have been investigating this issue for ProPublica. Joining us is Melissa Sanchez, who works at ProPublica Illinois. Hey, Melissa. Hi, thanks for having me. Also with us is Anna Clark from ProPublica Michigan. Thanks for being here, Anna. Hello, and thank you. I'll start with you, Melissa. Can you give us an overview of the situation at Illinois Shelters when kids from Afghan uh, Afghanistan arrived? Yeah, sure. So kids started coming here in late August, early September last year. And, um, you know, they, they came among like the tens of thousands of refugees who were brought here after our pullout from Afghanistan. And, and these are kids who came without a parent. And so they entered the Office of Refugee Resettlement's shelter system. And a lot of them were initially concentrated at shelters run by Heartland. Um, but but what we kind of have explored with this story is what's happened not just with the kids here in the Chicago shelters, but kids all over the country. Um, at, like what we, we reported on this back in October that the facility here was really unprepared for this particular kind of of traumatized immigrant coming from from war. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the problems they faced here, we've we've discovered, have just replicated themselves in Michigan and Pittsburgh, kind of all over the country. They've been scattered from place to place to place, and the same problems continue. Yeah, these kids have really been through a lot in the last couple months. I remember our, our conversation when you were here in the fall, Melissa, and you know the kids. Then you were talking about being evacuated from their home, not knowing when they're going to see their family again. Just stressful stuff. But did these shelters have adequate mental health services for them? No. Um, so, it, nor, nor interpreters, nor nor a lot of things. So, and, and as, as a result, what, what's, what's happened is that they have behaved in ways that are really different than what the shelters are used to. Like, it's worth knowing who typically enters these shelters. It's Central American kids, often like teenagers who come here to work or they, they, they come here with a plan. They know they're going to be in a shelter for a month in and out. And these kids had no idea where they were going. They showed up here. They're really afraid for their families back home. And they start showing um, severe mental health issues. There are a lot of children who have tried to kill themselves, who have run away, who have tried to hurt other people, who have punched staff, who have stopped eating in protest because they're, they're, they're sick and tired of being kind of in this limbo in these facilities run by people who don't speak their language or understand their culture for mm. months. Some of these kids have been in, now in these shelters, which to them end up feeling like de- like a detention, like like prison for, for more than six months. You got a call from a worker at a, a Michigan shelter recently. What did they tell you? So the, yeah, the, the call we got was a little bit more than a month ago from a worker in Grand Rapids at a facility. And what she described was exactly what I was on your show talking about back in October, um, that the staff was 
incapable of of adequately responding to them. They didn't know what to do. I mean, in this case, they had interpreters, but they but they lacked the the mental health resources. They lacked the staffing. People were quitting left and right, and and there just weren't enough adult bodies in the room to take care of these kids who were showing all of this, this behavior, these psychological issues that that they just didn't know how to handle. Anna, let's bring you in here. Um, originally, it seemed like shelters in Michigan, particularly Star Commonwealth, that they were doing better than Heartland here in Illinois. What changed? Yeah, the Star Commonwealth facility is in um, Albion, and uh, like Heartland, it was uh, kind of set up as an emergency intake site, so it was a lot more kids that were there. Um, and uh, unlike Heartland, it, it, had, it did have interpreters early on. It has a very, you know, lush kind of, green campus setting um, that, you know, you would think would be um, a more welcoming place for a lot of these kids. But we did hear from a lot of folks who early on noticed a lot of red flags. It it felt very restrictive, Um, like the movement of the children were um, kind of police. They wanted more phone time. They wanted to reach their uh, families who they were so worried about. Um, And also just like the the indefinite nature of just being there. Um, day after day, week after week, month after month, with no plan forward, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know what's going to happen to you. You don't know. Um, you don't know what's going to happen with your family. You, 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 you it, it's difficult to envision any way forward. So there's this like compounding trauma of like being in a place like this, um, on top of the trauma that, of just what led to this whole exodus from your home country in the first place. And so we did learn from a lot of um, from folks that we talked to and from a lot of the records with uh, law enforcement that, like, as the longer these kids stayed, the more behavior issues there was, mental health crises there was. And um, just like that, you know, Melissa had been reporting on for a long time, it was just really overwhelming, uh, the folks who uh, worked there. Um. Melissa, Star Commonwealth was, as Anna mentioned, an emergency intake site, meaning it wasn't licensed by the state. It was unregulated. How common is that? So there's a couple of these, um, and you kind of hear of them more like in the south along the border. So when when Biden came in, like there was a lot more people came in. So 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 the the shelter system was overwhelmed, and and they create these sites to kind of deal with like the so-called influx. Um, and, and some of these have been shut down and they've been really criticized by advocates because they are, they are, they're, they're not as regulated and the staff is often less trained than the folks like at, at Heartland who maybe have been doing this for a long time. Um, so with Star Commonwealth, what was interesting is there, there, the staff came from so many places. There was some company called PAE that does, that, that just, that has never really run shelters before. They, they would borrow federal workers from a variety of agencies who like, quote unquote, volunteered their time to help with the kids. Um, they, they, they had like random folks from the community come in. It was a, a range of people and they were not experienced. One in, in like this kind of shelter care and two in, in kids from Afghanistan. So these, these, like one of the, one of the issues is like the, the workers are used to Central American kids. A lot of them might be Latino or, you know, immigrants or children of immigrants and they can speak Spanish and they understand why kids come here. But these places just did not have anybody mm-hmm. whatsoever who understood Afghanistan. Anna, one of the shelters responsible for Afghan children was a nonprofit called Samaritas in Grand Rapids. What's the situation like there? 
Right. So um, a lot of the kids who ended up at Samaritus were at STAR. So STAR uh, quietly closed in early January. Um, Melissa learned this from the worker who <laughs> reached out to her from there. And, um, and they were transferred to a number of different facilities around the country, including about nearly 20 who were sent um, over to Samaritus in Grand Rapids. And so um, this is a facility that had been, you know, largely serving uh, Central American uh, children. Um, it has a Spanish-speaking staff. It has um, it's license. It is licensed. It does have um, a, a, a independent regulation of the state. You know, looking out for child children's welfare. So that and it's a smaller setting, which a lot of advocates say is like a, just better in general uh, for children. But um, the kids uh, really struggled there too. Um, you know, because again. You know, the, the just first of all, just the inherent disruption of transfers um, can add a lot of uh, difficulty to. Um, you know, they're losing connections sometimes with each other. You know, folks that they, other kids that they've been with for a long time. Mm -hmm. It adds to the sense of instability. Um, and so when they got there, they were um, really trying to like. Uh, there was a lot of acting out. There was folks who were like they were advocating. You know, for more phone time. They were like pushing back against a lot of the rules that they were getting. Um, from the folks at Samaritus, and within two months, the kids were transferred again. Um, at this point, nobody's there, and Samaritus is taking a pause, um, and really regrouping and retraining their staff. I mean, they're wow. They they were struggling. If you're just tuning in, I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and I'm talking with Anna Clark and Melissa Sanchez. Both are reporters with ProPublica. We're discussing the nearly 200 Afghan children who have spent months in U.S. federal custody. Um, you know, Melissa, from your stories and from reading them, it's, it sounds like there was this, this shortage of resources for the workers and the kids at the shelter. What could have yeah. been done to prevent the situation, you think? Or was it just inevitable because the U.S. <sighs> pulled out of Afghanistan so fast? That's sort of the question that we've been wrestling with for, for the past few weeks because... I, I think it, it's a little bit of both. Like initially, when when this first happened with Heartland, it's really hard to know what they could have done differently. Like in those very first few weeks, like nobody at ORR was prepared for this. Um, and I don't know if there could have just been better communication between the military and the Office of Refugee Resettlement. I, I don't. I'm, I'm not familiar enough with that to, to be able to answer. But kind of like where we've landed is it's been more than six months at this point. Like six months is a long time, and we realize there's a lot of bureaucracy to get folks hired into these positions, and it's hard to find them, et cetera. But there's been tens of thousands of, of, of adults brought in from Afghanistan. A lot of them are educated professional folks who came in with with, with, with this wave of refugees. And I, I, I do wonder, like how or whether ORR can do more to bring in like qualified folks who understand the culture to work specifically with these children. Um, and we were hearing, we were, you know, I've been hearing from people all over the country that like as kids have gotten transferred into different shelters, that at the, for the first couple of days, there might not be an interpreter. Like that, that should not be happening still mm -hmm. months later. There aren't enough. And like at this point, ORR is aware that these kids are coming in with needs that are beyond what, what they typically see. So these places need to get staffed up and ORR is trying by like you know sending in these volunteer federal workers etc but it's clearly not enough like these 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 shelters need more adults in 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 the facilities to ensure that children are getting sufficient care um i i so i i don't know it's 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 hard like i think nobody asked for this ORR has to take in the kids who come but at this point like it's it's been 7 months sorry 7 months 
the, 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 like I, I, I fear that I am going to get another call from another worker in California or Ohio or some random state in the coming days telling me the same thing is happening. And at that point, it's just it's just not acceptable. Yeah. So we're clear. Anna. are any of these children getting placed with relatives or, or friends or foster care? Yeah, the um, I think one thing that's like important to like understand for like kind of the end goal for these kids. I mean, the number one end goal is that they're reunited with their families, right? The and um, the state foot department we hear has like been working to try to get them uh, their families um, over to the U.S. so they can you know reconnect, um, and that is difficult for all the reasons you can imagine right now um, and on an unpredictable timeline. So the second the second option. Um, if the kids can't be connected with um, a relative or family, is to be placed, you know, in a home-based foster care setting um, with someone who is, you know, um, willing and open to support these, the cultural practices of these kids and offer a kind and compassionate setting. Um, and a number of kids have had these placements as well, although there's a backlogged federal foster system anyway, especially for teen boys. And so, and we've um, so, and, and so there's. We've heard from some folks who are very concerned that there's just, like, not enough and a number of delays and restrictions in getting folks through the system even when they are willing. So um, so the idea is, like, there is, it is unacceptable for, like, the shelters to still be having the extent of the problems that, um, that, that we've been hearing about and seeing about again and again and again. But yeah. also, even if it was the most best and idyllic possible operated shelter, it's still it's still not okay, right? Like they shouldn't be in there this long period. So the goal is to get them out as soon as possible. Of the 1,400 unaccompanied minors who were brought to the U.S. Um, without their um, without family members, about yeah. 1,200 have been uh, placed with sponsors or family members or someone else who can uh, care for them. Um, but yeah, we we've been concerned about the couple hundred who are still waiting. And and Anna, what kind of strain? will an influx of Ukrainian refugees have on the shelter system? Well, it, I, 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 I'm not certain, but I'm very nervous, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, this is like... This There's is something a, this else is to think about. Too. Yeah, it's like, I mean, this isn't this isn't like a one-time problem to solve, right? Like, this is like, there will be more emergencies. There are more emergencies literally right now happening. Um, and, uh, and, and so, we, you know, I think it's important to think about what is what is the larger vision for this like uh, for this system? What can we do structurally um, to be to to be preventive <laughs> for yeah. a lot of the, the common problems that come up? Can we build relationships beforehand? Can we um, you know like be thinking differently about how we um, establish uh, these like foster placements? Can we you know like what what can be done to make what is going to be a difficult situation no matter what? less difficult, let, let, like stop creating like more problems that are just traumatizing the children further. Um, so it's really important to get this right um, for the kids who are in the system right now mm-hmm. um, and for those who are yet to come, whether it's from U- Ukraine or anywhere else. That's Anna Clark and Melissa Sanchez with ProPublica. You can read their latest story about young Afghans stuck in federal custody at ProPublica.org. Thank you both. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.